Dalai Lama said, the purpose of our lives is to be happy. John D. Rockefeller said, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Thomas Jefferson said, I find that the harder I work, the more luck I seem to have. Albert Einstein said, try not to become a man of success, rather become a man of value. Welcome to Make Shit Happen. This is episode number 134. My guest today is Eva Medelik. Eva is an international speaker, an author, and an executive coach. Eva is determined of helping highly driven entrepreneur and executive reach professional success without sacrificing personal fulfillment. Eva's whole motto is that humans need to perform at a high level. And she knows that it's up to you to implement the habits of high performance by integrating the research-driven principles in your life. As a certified high-performance coach, Eva will show you how to integrate these research-driven principles of high performance into every area of life. Eva is also an author of the book called Intimacy of Race, which she wrote after uh, having a Facebook group uh, called Intimacy of Race. I love this interview with Eva Medelik, and I hope you do too. Without further ado, let's jump into this interview with Eva Medelik. Guys, if you're in the market for furniture or mattresses, please visit Exclusive Furniture. Exclusive Furniture has seven locations in the greater Houston area. Or if you're not in the Houston area, visit us online at exclusivefurniture.com. We have financing available, also extended protection plans. Anything that you can think about, exclusivefurniture.com does have it. 97% of the furniture is in stock to be delivered immediately within 48 hours of your purchase. Guys, visit ExclusiveFurniture.com. Financing available. Exclusive furniture where low prices live. Welcome to Make Shit Happen. My guest today is Eva Medelik. Eva, thank you for joining me over Zoom and thanks for accepting my invite. For people, you know, even though I gave a little brief intro about you, but people who are wondering who's Eva Medelik, how would you describe yourself? Who who will you tell them? How will you tell them who is Eva Medelik? You know, that's a really, really good question. I don't really get that asked that often, but how I would describe myself is I'm a high achiever. And I'm highly driven as an entrepreneur. However, I do not consider myself a workaholic. I actually consider myself a high performer. And that to me means I like to create and succeed consistently Mm -hmm. and create habits so that my success is sustainable and I don't burn out and lose my health, lose my mood, lose my relationships in the process. So I am a person who just loves to create and achieve and challenge myself to create something new and get out of my comfort zone. So when I'm always asked to do something new and exciting, that's like oxygen for me. So that's how I would describe myself. Really. What, were you and always a mom. like that? Oh, and a mom. <laughs> and a wife and a mom and a dog mom, you know, all the important stuff. <laughs> awesome. Were you always a high achiever or, I mean, were you all, like workaholic before? Did you make some transformation? Tell me a little bit. You know, I wasn't always, to be honest with you. I would say when I started as an entrepreneur, that's when my drive kicked in because I finally felt like I was going after something for me and my passion and not just working for someone else's, um, you know, success. And so I became an entrepreneur about 10 years ago when I Mm -hmm. turned 50. And that's when my drive really kicked in. Uh, Unfortunately, I wasn't a high performer at that time. I was just a workaholic high achiever. And that's when I realized that it wasn't good for my health. I was sacrificing some of the things that were important to me so that I could have success in my business. And, you know, I believe I told you um, offline before that that's when, um, you know, my relationship with my husband, my new husband at the time really started having some challenges and I had to take a step back and look at the sacrifices I was making for success and recalibrate my life at that time. 
you, you did tell me a little thing briefly about that you were having problem in, in your relationship. Uh, is that something you want to talk about? Something you want to expand? You and know, I know you I did sh- tell me that you used to be in dental business also, right? Yeah, I was a dental hygienist, you know, <laughs> when I was when I was young. I was a dental hygienist for close to 40 years. And so, you know, like most of us, when we start our entrepreneurial journey as a solopreneur, so to speak, you know, we kind of keep our day job when we are building the business until, you know, one can take over for the other. And so I find, I found myself trying to do it all, like do everything myself. So not only work my day job, build my business, but also the cooking and the laundry and the shopping. And I was trying to do it all. I was trying to be perfect at everything. And what ended up happening is the stress and the overwhelm of trying to do it all, trying to do it now, trying to do it perfectly affected my health. I was holding a lot of stress in my body. It affected my my mood. I was always, have you ever been around people that were always seem stressed and they never had time and they're always rushed and you can kind of feel that energy? That's actually who I was. And people at work noticed it. You know, my husband and I started having trouble in how we communicated with each other because I didn't have any patience left. I was just always exhausted. And, but I always had the the idea and, and maybe some of your listeners could create, well, as soon as the business gets successful, or as soon as we have, you know, the business I built at that time was real estate. As soon as we have a certain amount of holdings, then we can work on the other things that aren't working. And one day I found out that my husband was having an affair. And I knew that in that moment, I realized I could lose it all. Everything that I was working for, the life we were building together could all go to crap if I didn't take responsibility for who I was being and how I was showing up. Wow. So how did you get past that, Eva? Because that can be, I mean, you just said that and it's heavy. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing. We had to commit. We had to make a decision whether we wanted to turn that breakdown into a breakup or a breakthrough. And I remember having the thought, like, first of all, that I shared in the responsibility for this breakdown in our in our relationship. But also, honestly, Slam, I thought this is gonna make a great story one day, regardless of how we end up, because I knew in my heart, my husband is a really, really good integrous person. You know, he must have been hurting at the level that he was in a self-sabotage. Some people turn to drugs, some people turn to alcohol. You know, we all have our ways of self-sabotaging our, our lives and coping with some pain and hurt and stress that we have. And so we made the decision to commit to, now here's the key with us. We committed to the relationship that we wanted, not knowing if we'd have that relationship with each other. And here's what I mean by that. People are human and we make mistakes. So what we had to commit to was the bigger picture. What type of relationship did we want to create in our marriage? And we got rid of the old relationship and built a new foundation and a new relationship from the ground up. And that was probably five years ago four or five years ago. And I have to say we're together. We, I'm so proud of the work that we did. It was messy. It was painful. It, we had to go through the fire to come out on the other side to some oxygen and breathe. So I don't want to make it sound like we did all of this easily, but we stayed focused and committed to what was important to us. And it was that same high performance habit that that we adopt for our business. Um, You know, I'm a certified high performance coach now, how we really stay committed to what our priorities and values are. And we don't let distractions or competing interests pull us away from that. And a lot of times people do that. We get shiny object syndrome, we move away, but we just have to stay focused on what's important to us. And that's how we were able to get through that. Well, you know, congratulations on that. Uh, you said shiny object syndrome. And I want to talk about that because, you know, uh, 
you know, a lot of us, they always see something shiny, you know, object, and, and we deviate from our, our course and have distraction. You know, at the end of the day, we all humans. Tell us a little bit about what, what do you think about that? Since you said that, I want to know, I want to see if you can expand a little bit more. Well, you know, we have shiny object syndrome because we are not clear and focused on what our priorities are. We have no clarity. And a lot of people who come to me for coaching, that's the first thing. They're, they're, they're in a state of confusion. Should I try this? Should I do this? Should I do that? And, you know, the next thing that comes along, like, oh, that's how I'm going to grow my business. Oh, that's how we're going to do this or do that or the other. And so I help my clients get clear and focused on what it is they want to achieve. And really, it's incremental. You know, we try to do a lot of things at once and we try to have it all, do it all and be it all. When we talk about business, you know, should we be on LinkedIn? Should we be on Instagram? Should we focus on Facebook? Should we focus on webinars? Should we do this, that and the other? And we start to shoot all on ourselves and we end up kind of all over the place. I like to call it not keeping the main thing, the main thing. And so when we get clear on what the main thing is. And this has been a huge learning experience for me because I used to say yes to everything and every opportunity. And that contributes to the burnout and overwhelm because I wasn't staying focused and staying in my lane. And we run out of time. I mean, how many times have you said, let's say in the last three weeks, I don't have time for that. How much time is that going to take? I'm too busy. Or when somebody asks you, Sam, how are you? I'm good, but really busy. You know, or, or if you've asked somebody that, we're really busy, we're really busy. But busy is not necessarily productive. Yeah. Busy and productive is, is not necessarily effective. So we really have to niche it down to figure out what, what action of integrity is going to move the needle forward on our priorities and values. You know, you, you, you said something that, that I stand for, you know, always keep the main things, the main thing. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to some, someone just messaged me the other day on Facebook and they're like, Hey Sam, you know, what is your morning routine? And, and I said, well, morning routine is a little complicated, but I'm about to get in the car and drive. If you want, you can call me. And I'll talk to you for 20 minutes. This guy has been following me for a while and he messages me. So I'm like, I'll, this is my number. You can call me. So he calls me and then he's telling me while I'm having my drive from my home to work. So I'll say, I've got 20 minutes. You, you can talk to me, right? So he's telling me about how what he's doing, this business and this business, this business. And I counted about seven different things he's doing. And I'm like, Edward, that's that's a lot of businesses, man. I'm like, have you ever heard of, you got to have an entree and I mean, you can have a little side dish, but if you're going to start your business, why are you going to start seven businesses at one time? Oh, wow. Or, or six businesses or, oh, well, I can do this and I can do this. I'm like, well, I, you only have 24 hours in the day. Okay. What do you think about that when people just like, they want to, they're like, man, I wish I could get this and I can get this and I can get this. And, and he's like telling me how he's going to have a tax office. And at the tax office, he's also going to have, you know, his, uh, he's going to have signs for his uh, uh, real estate. And so when people are doing taxes, they can buy real estate from us. And then we can also <laughs> do the mortgage and, and they can do the mortgage. With us. I'm like, well, okay. And, and I mean, you know, it kept going on and on and on and on and investment and this and this, this, and I'm like, that's all, you know, well, was it, wasn't there a saying once that uh, jack of all trades, master of none? That, that's exactly yeah. what I told him. That's I told it, him yeah. the same thing. I said, yeah. have you ever heard of this ad word? Jack of all trades, master of none? I swear I told him the same thing because I'm like, how many businesses? So what do you think about, and I know you run into people who do the same thing. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, you know what? It's, Busy is a distraction from connection. See, when you work with me, we'll go deep, you know, and a lot of times what I hear from my clients is 
they got that work ethic and that way of being usually from some early life experience or how their mom or their dad led their life and they haven't really evolved. And most people I talk to about that, their parents have health problems or died of a heart attack or at a young age, yeah. but they still, it's so buried deep inside of them that that's what they think they should be doing because my dad was a great man and a workaholic. Well, my dad was too, but he also wasn't connected to me in my childhood or my mom because he was always too busy to have deeper connected relationships. So I would look at what the underlying motivation and fear is from thinking that he needed to, to have all of that and do all of that at once. And once we get clear on that, he'll be able to get clear on what is the main thing he should be focused on, what lights him up. Because he might just be thinking he should be doing that because maybe somebody told him he should be. Or, or that's how his dad did, or his uncle he admired did, or his mom worked several businesses at the time. And so we often repeat those patterns that were modeled for us. And sometimes we end up just as miserable as sometimes our, our parents were and not having those connected relationships. But sometimes, and you're right, sometimes our parents did that. But sometimes we just, I, I feel like we want it so bad or people want it so bad, and they're like, "Man, I, I want to make sure I can get it all before my time, before the time runs out, before the opportunities run out." What do you? Yeah, I mean, you yeah, that? and that, you know what? Because we hear that all the time, we can have it all, we can do it all, but no, we can't. You know, you got to get clear on what the important thing is. Trying to have it all and have that, um, that mindset is actually damaging other areas of their lives. Does he have time to have a morning routine, to work out, to spend time with his family, to have deeper connected relationships? Because I was in that same mindset. Like I was already 50 before I started to be an entrepreneur. Like I wanted to get everything in five years. And in that process, I nearly lost it all. So learning to that balance is not equal, but to really make time for what's important to us. So, you know what, if you're, if he's single and doesn't have any other relationships and, and prefers it that way, what I'm finding is that if you are spread out in so many different directions, not one thing is done well. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean that he can't have it all, but maybe now for the next for the first quarter, this is what I focus on growing. And then the second quarter, I can add that, you yeah. know, I would really say, but trying to do it all at once and do it perfectly comes at a price. Is he yeah, I, I'm a strong that? believer in, um, and I, and I told him, I said, I'm a strong believer in, you know, you have one main business and then you can have a little dab here and there, but you can't spend a lot of time on those little side things, you know, um, and I told her, I said, look, I got a little, you know, real estate business that I do. Um, mm -hmm. I've done it since 2017. I did flips. I flipped some stuff. And then later on, I found out the flipping was not that good for me because it was taking some time. So I do some rentals and I buy and I still do a little flip. But I said, I don't spend more than five hours, maybe 20 hours a month, mm -hmm. you know, doing that. Mm -hmm. I said, because, and, and even at 20 hours, I'm like, I'm too busy, you know, and, and, and I'm like, I started thinking, but you know, like one thing you said about relationships and people start working. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I started my business at a very young age. I started when I was 21. Mm. And, and I mean, I've been in the same business for 23 years now, but I had kids at a year early age. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I do regret is my kids. I felt like grew up really fast and I didn't have that time to spend with them. So I try to spend as much time with them now. And, you know, people always say, well, you know, work hard in, in the beginning and then, you know, it pays, pays off in the future. It just doesn't happen to a lot of people. People might work a lot and then it might fail. Yeah, and then yeah. they work a lot. I mean, I was one of the lucky ones that, yeah, you know, my business was successful. And I mean, now I have a lot more time that I can spend you know, with family and loved ones and, and everything. You know, but, you know, 
And I, if, if you don't mind, I'll speak into that a little bit. Um, they did a study of hospice workers, uh-huh. asking them what was the number one regret that people who were in hospice and dying had. And the number one regret across the board was they didn't spend enough time with their families. People never say things like, I wish I had more money. I wish I had more businesses. I wish I had more cars and houses and things like that. And so when you are working off of a blueprint of your priorities, like we all are working hard for our families, right? Mm -hmm. But is it costing us our families? Where do you find that you are giving things up so that your family can have a better life than you maybe have growing up. That's usually the motivation for all of us. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to children, you know, I, my dad's 88 now. The number one regret I, I have is that he didn't spend time with me as a child. And now that he's older, you know, I'm learning a lot more about him and he's, he's home, but those hurts, like I'm 60. Those hurts from seven years old when he broke promises because he was working two jobs so that I could go to private school and he was too tired to play with me, too tired to take us on vacation to this, to that. You know, we always have those people on vacation on their laptop. That still hurts to this day. And I would rather have that time. And I'm sure you may have that experience. Your kids may have that experience. And thank God you're still alive to spend time with them now and not spend a lot of energy regretting the past, but what we can we do moving forward? Just take a look at what your priorities are. Mm-hmm. And there's no judgment on what they are, but really there may be weeks that I tell my husband, I've got to focus on what I'm doing for two weeks and then we'll plan a vacation or we'll go away for the weekend or have something fancy and then it's just us. It's never going to be equal. So don't get me wrong. You're never going to spend equal amount of time at work and with family, mm-hmm. but the, the balance is going to be shifting. And so really just, just schedule in your priorities, schedule in fun. My God, most yeah, of us yeah. don't put that on the calendar. We put yeah. meeting after meeting after meeting. I put fun on my calendar. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise I won't have it. Cause I love to work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I wish I would have heard this like long time ago, but I mean, still, you know, one thing I'm like, okay, well, we scheduled vacations, family vacations. And I think we went out every, every year since I think they were like five or six on a vacation until, I mean, you know, like I, like I said, my kids are a little older now. My youngest are 20 year old, they're twins. And uh, they don't want to go on vacation with us no more since yeah. last year. As of last year, they said, that's it. No more. Okay. Because I dragged, we dragged you know, on, on vacations every year, because I'm like, well, I don't get to spend a lot of time with you. You know, I worked weekends because I was in furniture retail. I had to work uh, weekends. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, because money, you know, in retail money is made on the weekends. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm, I might, uh, that's the only regret. Anything else, I probably, probably wouldn't change a thing there you go <laughs> you know there you go. i probably I wouldn't know. change a thing it. i'll probably be one of those hospice uh patients <laughs> <laughs> well you know i I'm, i wrote an article once for brains magazine and the title was it that infidelity saved my marriage because honestly sam if that didn't happen it was it was a wake-up call for me it was a smack in the face to really look at where I was prioritizing my time, energy, and efforts. And the person that I cared about most, I didn't have any energy left over to spend with him. And so we want to set ourselves up to so see, be on our A game. Eva, tell me, tell me something. You say you, you coach high, you know, people to be a high performer and stuff like that. A couple of tips that you'll share with you know, people who are listening that they have their own business. And it can be any business, right? real right. estate business or mm-hmm. a restaurant or something. Would, would you share some tips with us? You know, one of, one of the, the tips that I love to, to share with people is that analogy of the race car. See, most of us enter our day in survival mode. How can we get through the day, get through our meetings, get through this, 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 this. And we don't set ourselves up to win and put ourselves in thriving in the day to win the day. So if you notice when you see a race car go around the track, 
especially the car that's ahead and doing the best, suddenly gets off and take and, and goes to the pit stop and they change the tires and they are under the hood and they do whatever magic they do to cars. I don't know cars that well. While they're ahead, while they're in the lead, they're proactive, they're not reactive. We don't do that for our bodies. If we wanna go further, farther, faster and have as much energy to spend with our families when we get home or end our work day that we started out in the beginning, we've gotta set our day up. So like you started out, start with a morning routine a morning routine that sets the intention for the day, what your priorities are, what has to be done, and make sure you go through your schedule. Schedule in pit stops, 10, 15 minutes, every hour on the hour, get up, move around if you're stuck at a desk, take a break, go outside, get fresh air if you can, drink water, fuel your body and your mind, or even just sit quietly for three minutes and release. And then I would say transition. Before you leave work and enter in husband, wife, mommy, daddy, whatever role you're playing after work is over, give yourself a transition um, exercise to leave work at work, to leave it in the office and be fully present with your family after. That's how you can set up your day to thrive and not merely just survive and get through it. And it creates an incredible amount of mental energy, emotional energy, and physical stamina to get you through your day. You know, a lot of people have challenges leaving work at work and, you know, bringing home to work, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I, I was blessed, you know, that, that I've always, uh, you know, was able to leave work at work, you know, when, when I was you know, I always, someone always asked me, hey, well, how do you feel? Like you have so much stress. How do you feel? How do you, you know, what happens? I'm like, no, I leave everything at the door mm -hmm. and, and I can do it, right? Uh, but but a lot of people have faced that challenge, you know? And I was like, you know, I have a lot of managers, you know, because we have seven locations and we have like 15, uh, 20 managers. And I tell everybody, I say, hey, if you're having a bad day, let us know. Because, but, but leave home, problems at home, at home, don't bring it to work. Right. Problems at work, don't take it back home. And a lot of people in business, a lot of people, uh, you know, at their jobs, they can't do that, right? Imagine you being a hygienist, right? And you're treating someone's mouth or you're a dentist. Let's just put it, forget <laughs> hygienist. hygienist is cleaning, but you're a dentist and you're doing a root canal to someone and all you can work, think about is you and your wife or you, your husband, that problem, that big fight you had, you, you're not going to be able to treat your patient right. Mm -hmm. Or if you're, you know, a consultant, you cannot do your job right. If you don't leave that home problem at home or, you know, taking the work from. Emotional intelligence right there. How, what, what do you, what kind of suggestions would you have for somebody? How well, can first, of all, first of all, why are you fighting with your wife? Stop it. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> but, you know, what I do is I have transitions. You know, I get myself grounded and set an intention for who I want to be with my client, for example. Say I have a client um, right after you. So I'm going to do a little bit of, you know, I have my own personal routines. I have a little essential oils. I breathe in. I ground. I clear my mind. I do a release meditation technique that takes literally two to four minutes tops where I can release the energy from this interview. Not that it's bad energy, but let's just say, for example, if it was you and I were married and we were having a fight and you just exasperated me because you didn't take out the garbage when you said you would, and I can't let that go. I would do a release technique so that I can be on my A game for my client after you. And then if I had a difficult client or even a, you know, a fun client or whatever it's like, there's transitions. There's things we can do in transition to get us to release old energy and set the intention of who I want to be for my patient. I want to be highly skilled, highly interactive, connected, listening to them, whatever that is, if I was still in the dental world. And I do the same with my um, clients. I want to be able to give them what they need in that moment and trust that I have the skill to give them direction to generate their own mastery of high performance 
in whatever we're talking about, whether it's clarity, energy, courage, productivity, or how to have greater influence. And so one of the things I do in high performance is teach people how to manage conflict, how to have these conversations to manage conflict so that we win the process. And winning the process means the emotion that's generated in that conflict. Do you feel seen, heard, and appreciated and validated in that conflict? So. Once you are in high performance, a scenario like that is going to be rarer and rarer as we move into mastery of high performance. Uh, so uh, one more thing that I want to ask you about. So first of all, I want to ask people who people who don't, you know, didn't get a chance or didn't realize what you're doing exactly. You're also you're an executive coach. And you teach people how to do high performer, high perform, how to be a high performer. What other things do you do in your practice? In my, in, in my, um, when you coach with me, we will set a foundation of relationships. Relationships are currency. They're currency in business and their currency in life. So even before we start to go into the tenants and the core and math and mastery of high performance, we set that relationship foundation first. And we learn, you know, what I do is I, I learn about you so that I can coach you to your highest and best self. And so where your blind spots may be that may prevent you from implementing habits, practices, or principles of high performance. So I focus on relationship and communication and reactions and how to set up um, powerful conversations and communications in your life and in your business. How much role does a life, like a personal life, plays with with, uh, with business? What do you think in your, in your opinion? I think how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm. I really do. That's just it in a nutshell. You know, we, you know, if I'm going to overreact at a, um, an employee, or a coworker, chances are I'm doing that at home too and vice versa. And so once I learn how to have powerful, effective communication, I, that happens at home too. So I, I, I think, you know what, people always say, you know, I'll be better when I have more money. You are exactly who you are, whether you're poor and broke or whether you have a lot of money. Money just magnifies who you really are. So if you're a jerk when you're broke, you're going to be a bigger jerk when you have money. So some, some people really are intense and they're passionate about their business, right? And mm -hmm. they feel like they feel like, man, if I'm not intense with my employees or intense with my coworkers, they might not take me seriously. What do you have to say about that? Why do they think that? I, I mean, I'm not understanding why, you know, that that's why we do that relationship. Uh, foundation piece on how people relate because there may be a person in your life that you need to be intense with but there also may be a person in your life that doesn't react to that intensive you know that intense way of being and they back off so who do you need to be who do you need to be with who you are in relationship with and are you um, able to adjust and rise to the challenge because if you're intense and you're yelling at me, that's not going to work. But do you have the emotional intelligence to have a relationship with me and hear what motivates me to action and to success? You know, uh, Eva, I have uh, reading challenges. I have a hard time reading. And um, I mean, you know, and just following through with it and understanding uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge. I've had it since I was a little kid. But, uh, but you know, in 2010 or 2011, uh, I think it was 2000, end of 2010, beginning of 2011, I, I read this book that changed my life. The name of the book was Built to Sell. And one thing that was on in, in that book that says, work on your business, not, not in, in your business, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it changed my life. Honestly, it like, changed my life how how I looked at business, how I did business, uh, how, how, you know, uh, what one thing and, and, and the big takeaway for me on that was, you know, I, I cannot do everything all the time and I cannot be everywhere all the time. Uh, 
-hmm. People have that challenge, you know, and I'm sure you have clients who have that challenge, who don't know how to delegate the power, who don't know how to hand off responsibility, who think that if they don't do it, it's just not going to happen perfectly. Mm -hmm. They don't believe and they don't have faith in the people that they hire. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? Don't we all have somebody in our lives that say, or maybe it was our parent, if I want something done right, I've got to do it myself <laughs> kind of thing. You know, here's what I say about that. There's an underlying trust issue that um, that person needs to deal with. And yeah, we, we probably all have had times in our lives where, whether financially we had to wear all of the hats, but the best investment that you can make is in yourself and in, in the support systems and leveraging your business. When I had my real estate, I still have my real estate investment company, I did it all. I wore all the hats because my husband wasn't fully on board and participating even though we were business partners until because the book that changed my life was Rich Dad Poor Dad. But, um, you know, until I made it a success. And that was part of the problem. I was doing the bookkeeping. I was acquiring the properties. I was um, getting the financing, working with lenders. I was doing it all. This is while I was still being hygienist and, you know, running the household and the amount of stress that that put on me cost me dearly. When we were healing our pain from the break, breakdown of our marriage, one of the things I gave up was control of the business. And I handed it to my husband, knowing full well that his level of participation would make it so that he would make mistakes and things would go wrong and there'd be bad deals. But it was the same learning process I had to go through when I was building the business. Not everything worked perfectly in the beginning. I had to be okay with giving up the business I built for him to manage. Mm -hmm. One of the hardest things I've ever done, but one of the best things I've done, because the weight that was taken off of me, I knew that we had investments that would support whatever mistakes we made. And we had to go through that. And I had to trust him to learn from mistakes or not. We all beat ourselves up for mistakes because that's how our education system is. You do bad on a test, you get an F, you get yelled at from your mom or dad, why didn't you study? Or you've got those people who got a B plus and you got a mom or dad and said, why didn't you get an A? You know, So we all have that pressure. Absolutely. And that's where it comes from. And when we can relieve that pressure and learn to trust that we are enough um, that know that we will make mistakes, but mistakes I look at as tuition. So, you know, changing your mindset and how you view why you think you need to do everything, why you don't trust any anyone else to do it as well as you. Yeah, nobody can do me as well as I do me, but let other people shine in their genius. So you've got to get out of your ego and not make it about you and be the type of a business owner who supports other people to rise. So, uh, uh, which is well said right there. Um, but how do, I mean, how can someone just, I mean, like if you have to say it in two, two little words or, or maybe two little sentences, like you, or let me ask you another question. Let me ask you another way. Do you believe that anyone can grow their business if they don't hand off the responsibility? I think you can and it'll take longer and it'll cost you, you know, what price are you willing to pay? You know, we're, we're talking about the cost of things, you know, for me, you know, I'm a lot older than probably, you know, you and a lot of your listeners, my health and my happiness is a priority for me, right. you know, but the younger people who are workaholics are not, don't, don't know what they don't know yet. And so I, I feel that you can get there faster with prioritizing and keeping the main thing, the main thing. I like that. I like that. You said, you said your happiness, you know, means a lot. And, and, and I talk about, you know, if you, if you follow me, I talk about happiness a lot, like, 
there's couple, there's there's two or three things our core, my core beliefs happiness is one of them saving money is a sec is another one mm -hmm. but tell me what do you what do you believe in what what is your point of view of happiness or it's what do you what, what do you think what is what, what is happiness truly happiness for me it's um it's how i feel do i feel happy am i in gratitude Am I practicing gratitude, not just feeling grateful? Do I practice? Do I say gratitude? Do, uh, you know, for me, you know, if you ever follow me, it's going to be me and my dog. <laughs> and yes, my, you know, I have family too, but that little pup brings me so much joy. And it's a feeling of really having relationships that are vibrant feeling energetic, feeling good in my body, those things are things that bring me joy and happiness. And it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. But I like to wake up feeling well, feeling healthy, feeling that I can make a difference for someone. And I have to tell you, honestly, when I bring a client through a breakthrough and aha, and I hang up from that client, I literally do a dance around the house, <laughs> like literally do a happy dance because I love to express my joy of having, helping someone, you know, get through a breakthrough where they'll have better results in their lives and they can feel joy and not just go through the motions. And so that means a lot to me. And I, I feel that when I built my real estate business, it was a tool or a vehicle to give me the freedom to be fully in my coaching business, which I am now. Awesome. And so there were stages. Now you're coach, you're your speaker, and then you wrote a book. I did. Called Intimacy I wrote a book, of Race. The Intimacy of Race. I get to show it. <laughs> and you know um, what? The article, the, the, the heading, the title kind of caught my attention. I know. Intimacy of Race. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that book and what really made you write the book because because you know it's a difficult it's a difficult subject race mm -hmm. I mean, people run from it you know people yeah. hide from it yeah yeah Tell us you a know bit. growth happens outside of our comfort zone and so this book actually came um out of my facebook group of the same name, The Intimacy of Race. And when the George Floyd murder occurred and all of the racial unrest and tension on social media and in the news and everywhere was around, there was a part of me that wanted to do something and didn't know what to do. Now, my, my husband is, is European from Germany and I have a lot of friends who are not black and brown and I knew the intention and their hearts but I also saw on social media, people were saying things and really getting canceled and ripped. Like cancel culture is at its ultimate highest, right? And so I wanted to create a space for white and white presenting people to have these uncomfortable, difficult conversations without being judged because we are scared into silence because of the bullying that happens, because of the judgment that happens. So I wanted to create a space to have these conversations, to learn and to share resources. And I put on a, um, a live forum called the Allyship Awareness Forum, where I gathered five other powerful black female leaders. And we created a listen and learn event where a couple of hundred people came on and listened to us speak about race, racism, unconscious biases, and spiritual bypassing from our perspective. And out of that, that forum coupled with the Facebook group was the inspiration to write the book of the same name, The Intimacy of Race. And the subtitle is How to Move from Subconscious Racism to Active Allyship for People of Privilege. So, so this, uh, you know, tell me a little bit, like, give us a little brief, you know, overview of the book with the chat, you know, maybe, maybe one or two chapters or something like that, if you don't mind. Well, let Because me if someone you. is wondering, if someone is thinking about it and, re and looking at it and saying, well, intimacy of race, okay, well, we get it. What is the book really about, you know? 
Well, it looks at, you know, how white allies, what they can do to dissolve blind spots. And um, I share some stories of my, you know, my dad was a bodyguard for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. a week before his assassination. And when he told me stories of being on the police force, one of the few black cops, he got picked to be out of uniform to guard Dr. King because they knew about the death threats and they didn't want to put any of the white cops in danger. That's how he got picked. But we talk about, let's see, myths around race and racism is something in the book because when we talk about, let's see, when it comes to conversations about race and racism, some of what you might be thinking in, is reasonable in your conversations are actually not reasonable. So all of a sudden you think, well, what could that be? What can be unreasonable? This chapter will let you have, I think there were three myths that were shared in this one. And um, one of the myths was, you know, for example, when someone said Black Lives Matter, the, the retort was always all lives matter. And that's like, like saying if I have a, um, a fundraiser for breast cancer and you come and say, well, what about lung cancer? That's just as important. Or what about colon cancer? The implication is not that those other cancers don't matter, but this is the conversation we're having right now is about breast cancer and who that affects and how that affects. So we look at that. We look at microaggressions in the workplace. <clears throat> um, we look at what your motives are for having these conversations. Uh, and my favorite chapter, things white people say and shouldn't. <laughs> we get what is real. That? What is that? <laughs> and then we talk about spiritual bypass and diversity in the wellness communities and also relationships and influence. And so, um, for, oh, let's talk about the hair thing. Okay. You know, you know that there's been huge discrimination about black people and how they wear their hair in corporate and executive positions. For example, dreadlocks yeah. are not allowed. There, that is um, conscious biases to have people look a certain way that's a white standard. But if you go up to a woman of color who maybe has braids or longer hair to ask if that's your real hair, or if that's a weave, or can I touch it? That's a very, very inappropriate and a violation of our bodies that goes back into slave, the days of slavery, when we did not have ownership and control of our bodies. Uh, it's hugely triggering. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll talk about that in a second, but I love the way you explained it about Black Lives Matter, you know, as you use the example of breast cancer awareness because the conversation is right now so I've, I've never heard anyone explain it like that so, so I, I loved it because a lot of time yeah when, when people say black life, life matter the rhetoric is like well all lives matter what are you talking about but yes you know when you are in a breast cancer awareness or breast cancer luncheon talk about breast cancer not talking about lung cancer liver cancer <laughs> Or heart or, disease. Or heart disease. We're not talking COVID. about this, <laughs> this conversation, this luncheon or this function is about, you know, breast cancer is only going to talk about black breast cancer. So I, 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 I appreciate that. I, I was listening to a podcast with, uh, there is a, there's a lady who, uh, she's, a, she's, a, she's in lipstick business and her lipstick is uh, lip bar. She owns lip bar. Mm. Okay. And it's sold in Target. She has done a great job. She she was raised in Detroit, and uh, you know ended up moving to New York. Became an investment banker. She was working for uh, what is a big investment bank in New York, Barclays, I think. Okay, mm -hmm. and she said that you know when she was working over there, and this is before the Black Lives Matter thing happened. She was like she was wearing, you know, like people will ask her about if they can touch her hair. When she was saying that on that, I just thought it was pretty offensive. Why would someone want to touch my hair? And, and it was funny when you said that, but this was all before the Black Lives Matter movement. And you know, that's that's something when you said what white people do and they shouldn't. 
I mean, that's one thing that you can't touch a black woman's hair. I just think it's invasion of privacy. I mean, you know, I, I just think it's inappropriate. But uh, but when she it was, is, it is inappropriate. But what white people don't understand is the triggering, the ancestral and generational trauma that triggers for people who are walking around in black and brown skin. Yeah. Well, you know, as you can tell, I'm a minority too, and and I mean, you know, in America we live, you know, unfortunately, um, where I don't talk a lot about race, but but we, you know, this is, it's a society that we are. We, we, you know, we are grown or, or we're born. In, I mean, we, that we are raised in. It's a, you know, have that that racism because, uh, because it's been instilled for hundreds of years here. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's not only white people that are racist. No. All of us are racist. We're all raised in the same racist society, and so what white people hear is only white people are racist and that's not what we're saying. I I personally have been been aware, have a heightened awareness of how I've supported white fragility in my life and whether it's not speaking up when something, when there's a microaggression or an unconscious bias directed towards me and letting it go, which stems from the fear of offending white people that goes back to Jim Crow laws and before you cannot say anything offensive to a white person or you would end up lynched or killed or beaten or your house burned or whatever so not saying anything silence is perpetuating the lie but even our own like within the black and brown community is colorism you've always seemed to you know the lighter your skin you are allowed to work in the home in and on the plantation as opposed to working out in the fields, which made you a better class of Negro and the classism and the colorism that goes on within our own communities. I mean, it, it, there's so much that the racist society that America was built on. I mean, America was basically a stolen land and country and it was built on making people less than well you know uh, a long time ago someone uh, i read this somewhere i think when i was a little kid uh i read this in a book and uh it stuck with me they said if you work in a garbage factory by the time you leave work and even if you don't touch the garbage okay you're gonna smell like garbage mm-hmm. and if you work in a perfume shop even if you don't spray perfume on yourself by the time you leave work you'll smell like perfume Mm-hmm. Okay, and 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 that's why the society we are uh, grown in America. I mean, it's a lot of systemic racism, and and everybody's racist. Asians are racist, Indians are racist, blacks are racist, whites are racist. Because I think that's that's all we know. Hispanics are racist. I mean, you know, we 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 use racism against each other, and I mean, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, I hope I hope one day we get out of this. But but the only way we can get out of it is by, you know by admitting it, that we have some kind of racism yeah. in our recognizing, recognizing where how racism shows up in you personally is part of the beginning of healing, but also recognizing how you benefit from racism and um, where it is in your family, where you've gotten it from and what beliefs, subconscious beliefs that you may not realize that you have. I mean, my whole life, you know, I was one of one of one or two, whether in school or in college or in communities that I was in. And I would get asked questions like, unbelievable that I could get a sunburn in the sun. Like I have skin. Like the, the stuff people would ask me that I was different. Like, why am I the different one? Why aren't you different? Or why can't we just recognize that we're not the same without having one be the standard of which everyone else is measured by. So, you know, it's powerful work, but the book is really a digestible, bite-sized look at, you know, some key areas we could look at in our own lives so that we can be more aware of how racism hurts, harms, and what our racist beliefs may be. So. I encourage everybody to get it. It's on Amazon. Eva, where can people find you on social media? On social media, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and I'm on LinkedIn. You know, and, uh, 
and they can find you. It's it's just under Eva Medelik. Yes, yes. Okay, so people can find you on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, under mm -hmm. Eva Medelik. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the Instagram handle is Eva Medelik Executive Coach or. Something like that. I mean, I don't know what, but if you just put in my name. Search Eva Medley, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Eva, uh, we are coming towards the end of our show, and I always end the show by by a couple of, like, this one one or two question. You already answered the gratitude question. Uh, Want to know if today was the end of the world, and let's just say all the, you've, you've lived up to 100 years, happy life, you know, have great, have grandkids, and, and life was great, but now today is the day you're about to go meet your creator and someone hands you up, you know, everything you've written, the books, the YouTube, the podcast, everything has been destroyed. And someone gives you a hand to your pen and a paper and say, Eva, write your three truces or three things that will lead you to greatness that you can leave for your grandkids, your great grandkids, your future, the future world, three things you have to write and you have a pen and a paper. What would you, what would you write? Well, it's a mantra that I live by every day to be open. To be, to open. be open. Expand on yeah. a little bit. Yeah, to be open to possibilities, to be open to challenges, to be open to celebrating differences, to just live a life of not being closed, but being open to receive and open to give. Because if you really want something, you should really give it first and you'll be surprised at how you can be open to receive. A lot of people want more, 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 but it's like eating everything at a buffet. They don't have the space to handle more. So to be open and create space. Um, connection is the second word that I would leave. You know, um, connection is currency. Connection is relationship currency and really being present and connected in our lives and not being in a state of being on the hamster wheel and the treadmill. I don't have time. I got to go. I got to go to this. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. We never regret. Um, what we regret the most is not having that time to be more connected and present in our lives to enjoy it. And I would also say generosity would be the third one. Because like I mentioned earlier, if you really want to attract something in your life, you've got to practice giving it, being generous with your heart. One of the things that um, part of uh, how I help people just, especially people in my life, you know, when you are feeling sad, down or depressed, go out and connect with people and be generous and smile, give so that you can have space to receive more. Hoarders don't, you know, you don't want to have that scarcity. You want to have an abundant life. And that is practicing generosity, but also being generous enough to receive people. It's hard for people to receive. Oh, no, I don't need that. I don't want that. I don't need that, which is why we try to do everything ourselves. But we don't realize the power in letting someone serve us and be generous with us. We are denying that, those people the chance to be enough service to us when we put our hand up and stop. So part of being generous is learning to receive. And those are the three things that I would leave with people. I love, I love it. One last question before we end this interview. What do you think of humility and what is your point of view of humility? And is it important in one's life? It depends. It depends. It's funny. I was just listening to a chapter in, in Jamie Kern Lima's book, Believe It. And she talked about how women are taught to be humble because showing um, ego is a bad thing. And I say being um, humility can keep you playing small and it's more apt to happen for women than for men. Um, really talking about your accomplishments and sharing your story can be someone else's survival guide. So we can be humble to a fault where other people don't get a chance to see our genius and know our story and it doesn't work to inspire. Or we can just, you know, you know, it like I said, it depends. It depends on the situation. And, you know, I think being humble can be a good thing, 
but it also can be detrimental to living a life of inspiration and, and influence and motivation for other people. A story not shared doesn't serve. And so, you know, what I'd like to leave your listeners with is if any of this resonated and they really want to know more about high performance, the easiest way to get to me other than social media is to go to talkwitheva.com so that we can map out your success strategy without sacrificing what's important to you. So it's talkwitheva.com. Awesome. Awesome. Everyone heard it right here. Talkwitheva.com or find you on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Take a look and see everything you're doing. Uh, I know you can also uh, YouTube Eva Merlik on uh, YouTube, uh, search on YouTube Eva Merlik and find some uh, interesting things about you. Eva, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for coming on my show. And, you know, I appreciate it now. Uh, and, and, I, and I really want to thank you for your time that you donated because time is such a commodity you can't go by. And <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Thank you so thank you. much. Thank you for sharing everything with us. And I enjoyed it. And I hope everyone enjoys it just as much as I did. Thank you. And hopefully I'll see you again one more time. Hopefully when you write another book or something you do, you know, stay in touch with me and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Eva Medlik as much as I did. If you liked it, please share it with your friends, your coworker, your neighbors, or somebody. If you subscribe to Make Sure It Happen Podcast, thank you for doing it. Please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Now let's go out there and make shit happen. <laughs>